This is episode number 206 of the Rising Man Podcast with Cyrus Henry. Your anger does not define you. What's up, Rising Man fam? Jetty Azuma here checking in again today for another episode of the Rising Man Podcast. Thank you for choosing to be here with us. Before we get into our guest for today, I want to remind you guys to go and reserve your seat for Dojo, our four-day self-mastery and embodied leadership training. It's coming up here April 7th to the 10th, but you can still lock in your seat today to get some amazing training for your mind, for your body, for your soul to go out there in the world and to weather the storms of life. Join me there. Join all the rest of the men in the community who signed up already. It's going to be dope. Risingman.org slash dojo. Go check it out. All right, our guest for today on the podcast is Cyrus Henry. Cyrus, an indigenous Maori from New Zealand, has worked as a performer for all his professional career. Cyrus studied a two-year diploma of energy healing at the Awareness Institute in Sydney, Australia. He's been building his coaching and energy practice for the last seven years and has created an immersion that is absolutely unique for men, incorporating customs from his Maori culture, including the haka. In this episode, Cyrus and I discussed his inspiration to work with men that arose from doing his own personal work. We talked about father wounds, feeling let down and abandoned by father figures, ancestral and generational healing that emerges by becoming a leader. We discussed men's relationship with anger and our beliefs that expressing anger is unsafe. And lastly, Cyrus shared a powerful story about reconnecting with his emotions and allowing himself to cry again after not having cried for many years. Without further ado, Cyrus Henry. All right, Rising Man fam, I've got a new friend of mine joining me here today, Cyrus Henry, coming in live from Nicaragua. Where in Nicaragua yeah. are you at the moment? I'm currently in San Juan del Sur. Um, it's about like an hour north of the Costa Rican border. Got you, got you. And if you guys can detect that accent there, he's coming to Nicaragua by way of Sydney, Australia, and then originally <laughs> in New Zealand. Where in New Zealand yes. are, are you from? What's your hometown? Um, yeah, you really freaked me really well. My accent goes between Australian and New Zealand. <laughs> um, I was born on, I was born in the North Island, um, and then I was raised in the South Island. So both um, both islands are my home. Got you. Okay, so first off, how does a, a, a native New Zealander make his way all the way out to Nicaragua and get stuck there? Give us the quick overview of the story. <laughs> um, the quick overview is I'm a professional performer by trade, uh, dancer, musician, and actor. And uh, I accepted an international contract uh, working over in Miami on um, the launch of Virgin, Vo- Virgin Voyages cruise ship. It was the inaugural cast. And so I went over to Miami to install the show. And just before we were about to do our press release, the show got canceled. And I, was, I asked my family in New Zealand to come home, um, but they said no. <laughs> So I was, I was pretty shattered actually, cause like um, as a performing artist, like we have to plan financially ahead if we want to take time off and take time away um, because we're going to get holiday pay. And so I had all this um, money that I had acquired and I was like, yes, I can go home finally and just like chill out um, stress-free. But then my family said no. And so I was like, okay, there must, there's a, I'm meant to be somewhere else. And I had a friend that I grew up with from New Zealand in Nicaragua. So I came to Nicaragua for the purpose of safety and to bunker down um, so then I can go back to my contract because we thought COVID was going on in the last two months. Mm. And yeah, so I got stuck here and uh, now I've pivoted and shifted to um, be here and also pivoted careers to be here in um, Nicaragua. 
Wow. Okay. So I got a couple of questions, follow-up questions. Yeah. So what's, what's the story behind your, your family saying, no, they, they just didn't have space for you or they didn't want you coming home. What's the story there? No, it was, um, it was, uh, because the reason was because I was scared of COVID. Uh, um, and cause my grandmother had a stroke at the start of the year. And so I was like, Oh, like we know that your immune system is quite strong, but New Zealand is a small place. So maybe it's better if you stay there. Um, and so that's kind of, yeah. At, and in the same breath and those two years that I've been here, man, I have like died and rebirthed so many times and stepped more into the reason and why I'm here right now speaking with you and your, your tribe. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for sharing a little bit more. And I could definitely relate to the death and rebirth many times over. I feel like that's what the whole planet's been experiencing in this crazy two years of time that we've been enduring. Uh Um, And yeah, I I imagine that that must have, well, I imagine it might've brought up many things, but to to have the desire to go home to family, because sometimes there's, I mean, especially we're talking about men here, right? So yeah there's a point in our lives where all we want to do is get away from our family, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. go out, adventure, see the world, slay the dragons. Yeah. But to have that feeling of genuinely wanting to return home to family and then not have mm-hmm. that available, how was that for you? Um, yeah, when I received that uh, response, I was pretty pretty well gutted, pretty, pretty heartbroken. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, in the same breath, uh, I really trust uh, flow, spirit, guidance and so i was like okay i'm just meant to go somewhere else mm. um and like being here in nicaragua i'm like definitely was meant to be here yeah right on yeah there's no mistakes no mistakes yeah. with that right all right no not at all um uh, well before i'd like to give the audience a, an opportunity to go a little bit deeper obviously look at the 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 highlight real version of your introduction before they listen to the recording. But uh-huh. uh, before we do that, I ask every one of my guests the same question when they come on the show the first time. And that mm-hmm. is, in your opinion, what does it mean to be a man? Hmm. That's a good question. It's a very layered question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what does it mean to be a man? The two words that come up for me is uh, three words, actually. A man that it leads with his heart and with love. A man that has integrity with word and with feeling. And a man that lives a life full of purpose. And within the same breath of saying that is intentionally approaching everything in life purposefully. Yeah, what that brings up for me is this element that I think is so critical in those, those points you brought up is, Mm -hmm. is claiming our, our authority for ourselves to Mm -hmm. decide what that purpose is. Mm -hmm. So many of us have that experience of being groomed to be a doctor being groomed by our families to go to college and having a, a trajectory planned for us by Mm -hmm. our caregivers and guardians Mm -hmm. where we never actually reclaim authority where we never Mm -hmm. actually say, Hey, thank you guys for driving the bus. I'm going to take the wheel now. And I've got it from here. Such a pivotal moment in, Mm -hmm. in our, in our lives as men. So tied in with what you say, I think is that claiming authority and and creating possibilities and choice because it's not my job or role to tell anyone else what their individual or unique purpose is. Same as Mm -hmm. I would never want somebody to try and do that to me, but there is that dynamic that tends to happen 
as we're mm-hmm. growing up, where our family impresses upon us an idea of who we should be or how we should be in the world. Um, I wonder if you had a, a have an experience like that, especially coming from uh, your family and uh, give mm-hmm. the audience an opportunity to learn a little bit more about Maori culture and what mm-hmm. that journey into purpose is like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a little short story about my navigation through life as a child right up into an adult is, um, so I'm a sibling of seven. Um, and us four older, older brothers um, were adopted out to family friends because our mother wasn't quite ready to support us. Mm. Um, and then uh, my, my personal story, I was interweaved within my mother's life. Um, she, um, I was interweaved between my mother's life. And so within saying that, there wasn't quite a like, here's an idea or like a specific trajectory that you could follow. It was more so like, there wasn't any guidance of like, go this way. Mm. Um, and to share a little bit more about that, I moved in, moved back in with my mother at the age of seven um, to seven and 14 with her and her partner, my stepfather. But I left at 14 because of, um, because of reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I learned a lot from my stepfather in terms of um, work ethic, uh, education, and business. Um, and the, at the same time, like I wasn't an intellect, I wasn't as interested as in education intellect growing up. I was a very typical uh, Kiwi boy, just wanted to play sports and hang out with the boys. Mm-hmm. And so interestingly enough, um, like when I moved away from my mom and my stepfather, I grew close to my big brother's girlfriend's mum, mm. which, which uh, provided this nurture um, and this guidance. And I remember there's a couple of um, points in my teenager life where, you know, the New Zealand dream is to play the All Blacks, play for the All Blacks, mm-hmm. play rugby. And I was reasonably pretty good at rugby and sports. One of my friend's dads, who was a coach, a representative um, footy coach, rugby coach, just said, to me, we were just hanging out um, at his place. And he was like, why don't you just do something different from the normal Kiwi? And I was like, okay. And then as I was about to leave high school, I was just like, oh, I'm just going to go to the army and uh, hang out with the boys. But then that woman, that's my big brother's girlfriend's mom, who supported me through um, school and my creative um, dance endeavors was like, no, you're going to dance school. <laughs> and that was it. Wow. So you had like a guardian angel of a woman, your, your older brother's girlfriend's mom who yes. stepped in and became this like guardian angel figure for you. Wow. Yes. Yes. Okay. Became listened to the nurture, which also, um, she also, um, which I, um, identifies my first spiritual mentor, um, mm. because she introduced me to like crystals and meditation. Gotcha. Um, and how old and are you so now? Just for reference. I'm 28. 28. Okay. So this is like seven years ago. We're talking about a little more. This is, yeah. Like, uh, like I went to dance school university when I was 17. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Around okay. that time. Yeah. Okay. So like a decade ago. Yeah. So, okay. So then bring us up to speed. Cause obviously some of the deeper work that you're into now, you already alluded to the performance career that you had that mm-hmm. COVID just through a, through a wrench and everything that we were all planning on doing. Yeah. And then, um, now you've pivoted into this career where you're really mm-hmm. working with uh, the emotional healing and emotional release work with mm-hmm. men. So how did, how did that all evolve? Cause I know that 
I know that my journey was very personal, right? Everything that I do mm-hmm. with Rising Man is a reflection of what I needed that I wasn't getting mm-hmm. at a certain stage in my life. Mm-hmm. So what was that journey like for you and how your medicine unfolded? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, really good question. Um, so after I started performing arts and uh, went to the study of the diploma of energy healing, and I asked myself, like, how do I want to share this work? Um, firstly, it came up with men and then uh, my indigenous culture. At that moment, I had no awareness why I wanted to work with men. I was like, oh, I just like, I just connect with men. And like, as I started to peel back the layers of my own conditioning, trauma and self-development, um, I realized that the reason why I'm working with men and why I'm so passionate about it is because the lack of that I had growing up. Mm. Um, and like, it's been like, now I'm saying like over the last two, three years, I'm like, oh, this is, this is why I'm doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, it was, it's interesting for myself and why I say it's interesting is because I was led into this path, not fully understanding why. And then as I started to share the work, I was like, oh, this is, this is why, because of um, the father that I didn't have. And uh, my stepfather became abusive, physically abusive. And then also he was the breadwinner in the family. And therefore there was a lack of protection from my brothers and my uncles. Like, why didn't they step in? because he was also the breadwinner in the extended family. And so therefore I also have trauma with around uh, money and like money means uh, control. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's like all these parts that I'm looking for in terms of the father figure and also mother, the mother figure has all led me to this place of like this deep passion for working with men on the wounded masculine and the wounded, uh, wounded uh, feminine. Um, Let's, yeah. let's dig in a little bit more to the the father wound. So, uh, tell me again. What so what happened to your your biological father? Um, so us <laughs> four older ones um, don't know our fathers. Mm. It was all of um, we could use the term a one night stand, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, why my mother wasn't quite ready to support us and. Uh, offered her and like this one family friend stepped in and um, helped to support. And then when she got back on her, um, got a bit more um, grounded, she asked us, well, just me and my younger brother to come live with her. Um, so, yeah. So you never got to know your, your biological father? No. And then a stepfather came into the picture who yeah. wasn't there for you. And I also heard you talk about the, the uncles that you said didn't really fill in the gaps. So yeah, just an invitation to speak a little bit more about that, man. Cause, and I, and I, I ask you knowing that this is like a sensitive thing. I know that you can, I know you can speak to it cause it's the work that you've done. But mm-hmm. I also think it's important because there's so many men who have different father wounds based on the relationship we had with a father who was our actual father, yeah. which we all have. Every single one of us has yeah. a father, whether we, whether we never met him or we grew up with him. Um, yeah. But then also the fatherly figures that we had, whether uh-huh. it was uncles or not even blood relatives. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, just going a little bit deeper into your relationship and what, what was, what mm-hmm. emerged from those wounds you had? Um, yeah. So a couple of wounds around the wound, uh, around the masculine is firstly, not having, um, not knowing my father. Secondly, having a stepfather um, who was kind to us at the beginning and then started to shift. And therefore, um, started to express anger and physical abuse to me and my younger brother. Um, and then I was also surrounded by uh, my mom's brothers, were were quite big men. There's a Maori men are quite big and quite strong. 
also my older brothers, but yet there was there was this resistance. There was this. There wasn't. There, I didn't see them step in for my safety mm-hmm. and to um, say, "Hey, that's not right. What you're doing to Cyrus." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, therefore, there was a tr- there was a distrust also within. Oh, so because my stepfather has money or is working really hard, um, it creates this like um, letting off and letting things slide because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like as I've gotten older and also diving into this work, and now sp- sp- um, speaking to my aunties and my uncles. And just hearing this reflection back of like, yeah, what you guys went through wasn't good. And it's just so, it's really like, it's only starting to unravel in the last couple of years, especially also with my younger siblings. They're like, yeah, what you guys went through. Like it's me and my younger brother that went through the same path together. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you, have you been you able to have with? an open dialogue with your siblings and your aunties, uncles, maybe your mom or even your stepdad about those experiences kind of going back in time and re revisiting mm. it for healing. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom. Yes. Uh, my mom. Yes. And I've been working on that for like the last 10 years is a yeah, funny story. I was working mm. with my first mentor, my mm. second mentor, my spiritual mentor, and we're doing like an energetic shielding technique. Um, and could you imagine like first bubble, second bubble, third bubble. And based upon those levels of bubbles is like, who will be in like what part usually, the first one is an intimate partner, someone really close, and then like best friends and family. My mentor um, said, invite your mother into your first bubble. I was like chill in a guided meditation, like really like, yeah, cool, doing the exercise. I broke. Mm. Just like my voice broke, everything. And I like screamed out, no. And I was like, whoa. This is when I was like 20, 21. And I was like, whoa, there is some work there. And there's a lot of resentment I had also towards my mother for not protecting me. Mm. And also there was also um, a lack of emotional availability. Um, And so I started to work on that. I started to speak to my mother and like, hey, this is what I'm working through. And I'd love to start to get to know you. Um, So that's one part of that. Um, I've only recently, actually in the last month, had a solid conversation with one of my sisters um, about um, that that um, moment in time. Um, and she shared, uh, yeah, just some reflections on um, like, yeah, she said that she felt, her and her sister felt responsible for what me and my brother went through. Mm. And therefore us leaving them because we left. Like we're gonna go, we got an opportunity to leave. Um, and then, yeah, I've had some conversations with some aunties and they're like, and some uncles and they're like, yeah, what you guys went through wasn't, yeah, it wasn't good. And yeah, so yeah. Big work, man. You know, I just want to acknowledge you because I, I like to say nobody makes it out alive. But what I mean by that is that nobody makes it to our 20s, 30s, 40s, wherever we're at without going through something, you know, yeah. even if you grew up with mom and dad around, uh, you grew up in, and you had some money in your family, everyone's got some challenge there's no nobody mm-hmm. just like skates right into adulthood untouched uh-huh. right so uh-huh. i really want to just acknowledge and 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 appreciate your particular journey and mm. what you went through and also the courage to be the one in the in your family to say hey 
let's talk about these things. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's that's real leadership. Mm-hmm. That's what ancestral and generational healing looks like. Mm-hmm. And it is really fucking uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's and I'll say because I've definitely had experiences like that in my own family of mm-hmm. bringing a lot of the things that I've learned out in the world, feeling like the black sheep of the family who's like the one doing life very alternatively and mm-hmm. bringing those conversations back to my parents, to my my two brothers, to mm-hmm. my extended family and my even my friends, like the friends I grew up with. And it's it's an uncomfortable position to be in. But it's mm-hmm. in my opinion, it's a very important role to play very Mm -hmm. selfless role to play. It's Mm -hmm. a service to the family and from where we come from. Mm -hmm. I totally agree and resonate. And uh, yeah, if you, the healing that you do is healing for all. And Mm. yeah, like to speak to that conversation, there's still like one big conversation that I am actively calling in, which is with my brother, because we haven't spoken about anything that we've ever gone through. Mm. The brother that you were paired with? Yeah. Mm. And so I'm waiting for that day to come. Beautiful, bro. Um, well, I want to just evolve our conversation from there because it's 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 really important groundwork that you laid for us to know where you come from and how you've mm-hmm. gotten into the work that you're doing now. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that stood out when we we talked about having this conversation was uh, talking about men's relationship with anger. To me, uh-huh. this is one of the the three most important conversations that men need to be having. I actually think mm-hmm. it's at the root of many other conversations that are happening on the surface is mm-hmm. the fact that the beliefs that were introduced to us around anger and what an angry man is in society mm-hmm. and what to do with anger, where mm-hmm. anger belongs, what it means if we if mm-hmm. we become angry, how we're disciplined around anger as children mm-hmm. in school and at home with our families. So I'd, I'd just love to get a baseline perspective of, of yours about mm-hmm. men and anger and how society has held that for so many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's a great question. And uh, how I've approached it is, um, like you said, society has conditioned men that expressing anger is uh, unsafe. And if you sp- express uh, a little bit of anger, any remnants of anger, you're violent. If you express any part of emotion, you're too sensitive. And so therefore this conditioning of suppressing um, anger and emotions is um, like a really big program within the men. Um, And uh, like, I also resonate with you that it is what I feel also at at a lot of root of a lot of um, layers for men that may be experiencing confusion. Um, Yeah, confusion is the big one and um, how to, safely express emotion and communicate um, anger. And um, yeah, it falls into this line of the archetype of the shadow warrior of like, I know it's, it's not safe for you to be physical, to, to, to express anger, to express rage. And on the other spectrum of anger and rage is a lot of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, and as I've dived into this work, I I ask myself, like, why am I comfortable with anger and rage? Um, why is it comfortable for me? And it, I just, it was so clear because why I'm so comfortable with it is because of the expression of haka. Mm. It just, throughout life, I was able to, for the many haka that I did, it was a part, even in that moment, for whatever I was doing it for, whether it be for rugby or some type of sports thing, it was also a part of releasing whatever anger could have been stored. Right. 
Well, and I think that's an important point to make just as a ground reference for the conversation that mm-hmm. anger is a not only essential, but a fundamental part of the human experience. Yes. Every single one of us gets angry. Yes. Anger itself is not the the devil here, right? Anger, anger yeah. itself is not the enemy. It's mm. the unhealthy ways in which anger can be expressed and or mm-hmm. received, which mm-hmm. is what I hear and what you're saying. And, mm-hmm. you know, we spoke we spoke earlier on before we started recording and I was, I was telling you about the event that I created with Jamie Schuster and Leon Ruri uh, mm-hmm. called call the warrior back at the end of uh, 2019, but before COVID mm-hmm. times when everything was different. And it was so cool to see the synchronicities here because um, I, I'm not indigenous Maori, but mm-hmm. when I first, I'll never forget the first time I saw a video of the Hakka mm-hmm. and it just like rattled my bones. I, 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 I was tearing up because it was, and in the, the particular Hakka I saw was all men. To see men expressing and articulating themselves that way, I mean, I watched on a YouTube video. It's not like I was experiencing it in the flesh, but even so, it it rattled something inside of me. Like, oh my, that's that's available, and that's Mm -hmm. okay, and it's celebrated because the I can't remember exactly which video it was, but it was it was where there were men performing the haka, and the you know just seeing the rest of the community receiving that Mm. energy. And the, you know, some of them were becoming emotional about Mm -hmm. it, but there wasn't anybody who was scared. Mm -hmm. There wasn't anybody who appeared to feel threatened. Mm -hmm. It was, it was the, it was the opposite of that. And so when I, when I first saw the Hakka, I was like, I need to, I just wanted to learn it myself. I was like, Mm -hmm. someday I'm going to go and I'm going to learn from, from traditional folks of uh, the power of this, because I could feel it just by witnessing. And then, Mm -hmm. and so serendipitously, it came together with Leon and Jamie to, to do that work. And so flashing forward to you, you bringing this and recognizing, identifying how important it is for men to be in their bodies and to be developing a more intimate relationship with that energy that we call anger or rage and mm-hmm. channeling it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. That's the key there, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not trying to eradicate the energy. Mm. It's finding a healthy place to put it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if we, if we look at this perspective of anger as emotion, it's just energy in motion. And if the mm-hmm. energy has nowhere to go, it's just going to pile up entire inside this vessel, this human vessel. Mm-hmm. And just eventually it's going to pop and it's, it may come out in an unhealthy way. Mm. Yeah. 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 And so my experience in some of the things that I've done around anger, you know, but this is before connecting with Jamie and Leon and, and mm-hmm. learning about Hakka was creating a container, an environment with men where mm-hmm. there's agreements around safety specifically Mm -hmm. confidentiality. We're never going to talk about what happens here. It stays Mm -hmm. here. It dies here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the leadership of whoever was conducting that space in in giving permission for us to go there. Mm -hmm. And then the first and second and third man who was willing to go there, right? Like Mm -hmm. take off the mask, show the arrows and the wounds that are sticking out of his chest. Right. Mm -hmm. And then witnessing the cascade of how things unfolded. So, there's, there's some really important elements to tapping into this energy for the first time because of what you said before about mm-hmm. what society's told us. It's dangerous. It's aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if, if, if nobody had any reference point for what the Hakka was and you just went and performed the Hakka solo on the, on the street corner in downtown LA, they're going to call the cops. Yep. 
that's that's society's <laughs> reference like that man especially you being an indigenous man right uh-huh. and you've got a darker skin complexion i mean yeah you're getting you're probably gonna end up in cuffs let's let's not pull punches right yeah so um, i'm digressing a little bit what i really want to hear from you is what is your belief around how we change our reference as a culture around anger mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. How, how do we how do we how do we make that motion forward? Because it seems like a lot of ground to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, thank you for that question. And I really, really enjoy all your reflections and your story is really great. Um, for me, it is um, bringing awareness to um, that our anger isn't us um, and bringing comfort and safety to the emotion of anger. Um, and then... Uh, after that is finding safe ways to express it, um, release it, and then safe ways to communicate. Um, so firstly, it's just bringing awareness to um, anger is a safe emotion, if it is safe. Um, and just building a toolbox and starting to re- redesign that programming and the conditioning um, with men, for men, and through men, that that anger is a safe expression. And it's just uh, it's just suppressed emotion and aspects of the inner warrior therefore allows us to step into our courage, our protection archetype and our provider archetype and to fight for what we believe is of justice. Beautiful, man. And it's so multi-layered, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's the, it's the courage and confidence to express and articulate anger and rage. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the, the ability for the community to receive that and not feel mm-hmm. threatened. So mm-hmm. it's, everyone has a personal stake in this transformation mm-hmm. and it is really big work. But like I said it before, I, I think that relationship with anger is actually at the root of many more of our social mm-hmm. problems to, to name a few um, sexual abuse, um, mm-hmm. se- sexual and, and f- physical violence, right. Just in mm-hmm. general, where you hear mm-hmm. about, um, men perpetrating violence on other people, mm-hmm. whether it's on other men, on children, on women, mm-hmm. uh, so much of that has to do, I believe with this, it's like a, like a relay race. It's like the mm-hmm. anger was perpetrated upon them. So the only way they know how to express and articulate that is by violence on other people, even mm-hmm. if it's not physical, right? Even Mm -hmm. just like emotional or verbal violence. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like disrupting that, that culture, you know, kind of like taking the baton and just knocking it out of the hand and and introducing a new one, because it's really about what we're passing forward onto the, onto Mm -hmm. our kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Totally. And um, part of the work in my master vision is first working with men and this um, idea of treatment and then eventually stepping into the idea of prevention and working with kids Mm -hmm. and teenagers and uh, really giving them those tools when they step out into the adult world um, to want, like you said, to like stop that baton, do the generational healing, do the ancestral healing and start to create a new foundation of men that are, that are warriors, but warriors that lead with the heart. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Well, cause I, what I've found is that when I am in those environments and contexts where I can explore and, and express my anger mm-hmm. that when I, when I express it f- completely, uh, 
Mm-hmm. Usually that leads to stage two, which is sadness or grief. Oftentimes mm-hmm. the the full expression of my anger leads me to tears. And I don't even know what it's about sometimes, but it's like underneath what's holding up anger is my grief and my sadness mm-hmm. about who knows what it is, what it's mm-hmm. about, right? All that unexpressed thing stuff. Mm-hmm. And if I continue to lean in and I allow myself to experience sadness and grief, like I'm talking about you know, water and fluids coming out of every facial orifice, just like, Uh you know, the nasty. And, and if I go all the way through that, then it it starts to spin up the other way towards ecstasy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll find myself like in a, in a laughter where Mm -hmm. I almost feel like I'm crazy because I went from anger to sadness and crying. Now I'm laughing. It's a huge spectrum of emotions. And if I, and then when I've really gone all the way through that, then at the end, it's like, emptiness. Wow. You know, and I think that's the emotional journey that so many of us are waiting to have Mm -hmm. when we get stuck at that point where we say, Oh, cut it off. Can't Mm -hmm. do that for reasons Mm -hmm. A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm wondering what you found in your own personal experience, if it's similar to what, (laughs) what I found Mm -hmm. for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What I heard from you was like the, the ability to feel the wave of emotion and uh, not allowing the emotion to take you, but to be present with whatever emotions arising and the wave that's going through, which allowed, which allowed you to go through those stages. And um, so a couple of things with my journey is uh, when I left my, uh, my stepfather um, and my mom was like, never crying again. Mm-hmm. That was it. Mm-hmm. It was done. <laughs> and also a little bit more about my journey is, in my, in my um, experience of experiencing my stepfather, for whatever reason, whether it's based on nature or nurture, um, in those moments, I had so much compassion for what I was experiencing and had so much um, forgiveness um, and gratitude for him feeling safe enough to express his anger towards me and the forgiveness of, um, they're like, oh, he must be in a lot of pain. And um, so I never held on to too much going through but in some ways, it's still it's still um, it's still there somatically. It's still there in the deeper layer parts of my vulnerability, especially when I'm with an intimate partner of like either shutting down when I experience big emotions. Um, and so my journey um, of uh, rediscovering my wave of emotions um, and re- reconnecting with uh, the opening of my tear ducts. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, my journey is um, similar in terms of I feel the emotion for as long as it needs to be there for um, without letting it um, consume me, but not ignoring it. Um, and just really sitting and be like, um, just a lot of self-soothe techniques, which is uh, um, physical touch on self, um, could be scented, uh, scented sage, um, nature, which allows me the safety to feel my emotions and go through those waves. Um, yeah, a lot of my emotions that I experienced most days are now just like a lot of tearful gratitude for a lot of things. Um, and when I experience anger or frustration, it's a lot of breath work and meditation. And uh, I guess the most important thing is um, giving myself choice to feel without judging the emotion and experiencing the emotion together, not allowing the emotion to take me. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. 
That's beautiful, man. Uh, the it really caught me when you said, you know, reintroducing yourself to your to your tear ducts or however you said that. It made yeah. me curious if do you, do you have a a moment that stands out when you when you first allowed yourself to to cry again, and and yep. what were the circumstances that led to that? Yep. Um. So it was the it was a um, surprising passing. It was the um, spontaneous surprising passing of my best friend's uh, mom was like a second mom to me. Mm. Um, she, um, yeah, she passed away suddenly. Um, and, uh, she was one of the most closest people that I've had that had passed away. And, uh, yeah, it was very natural and organic to cry, but in the same breath, I knew I wasn't just crying for her. Mm. And this, and I knew there was just so much release happening from, let's say it was like, maybe like, like seven to eight years of not crying. And wow. just like, I had like, and I like, because of that, like it allowed me, like I cried. I remember in that I like maybe cried like three, four big ones and uh, always knew that it wasn't also just for her. It was also for everything that I was like, from that, that really strong statement that I said to myself, I'm never crying again. Mm. And like, I knew leading up to it, like after I started to hit my late, uh, my, late teens and my early twenties, I'm like, it's time to start figuring out how to release this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And I was just like, a yeah, a big, uh, a big release that started that process again of being able to feel and being able to, um, express, um, the emotion of crying. Yeah, man. And I'll share another quick story. People who listen to the podcast know that, um, in the past year I lost a very close brother of mine. Uh, he was like a younger brother to me and mm-hmm. he he passed away suddenly from an accidental overdose. And mm-hmm. it was the first time in my adult life that I had uh, sudden and tragic and unexpected loss so close to me. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the grief and the sadness from something like that is overwhelming. It's mm-hmm. something, it's like nothing I've ever felt before. And I've, mm-hmm. I, I've had plenty of good cries over the years, but mm-hmm. like just relentless waves of just one after the other and mm. not even knowing where it was coming from. But an important lesson I learned during that time was that in the grief, in the pain of loss, I actually experienced an expansion of my capacity to love. That it's, it's the ironic part of losing somebody that mm-hmm. when you lose some, someone or, or something happens that you become disconnected with and there's grief and sadness, mm-hmm. it's, it actually stretches the love continuum. And so bringing this back to the conversation we're having where anger is sitting on top of sadness and grief, Mm -hmm. there's this, there's this cascade, or I'm sorry, there's a sequence that we go through that actually gives us a greater capacity to love and Mm -hmm. to appreciate all of those other emotions that are attached to love that are sometimes hard to describe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the euphoria comes from after we've really articulated those bigger, more uncomfortable emotions of sadness, anger, and grief. Um, and I, and I wonder if that's because when I was hearing your story, I was listening for what I interpreted to be the same, that there was like this mm-hmm. untapped grief that you hadn't accessed mm-hmm. that when you allowed yourself to do it, I imagine it led to many of these other breakthroughs you've had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. You, yeah. Thank you for articulating that so well. And also, so sorry to hear about your loss. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely opened up those parts of me again, I'm like, and cause I was consciously working and I'm like, um, towards like, okay, cool. Like 
haven't cried for quite a year, number of years. And so it's time to start to heal that part, already having an awareness of um, healing and self, self-development, but very minimal. Mm-hmm. Like I was only at the starting of that journey. Um, and so it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, such, like you said, like expansiveness, like being able to release parts that wherever, wherever that grief and sadness was stored, triggered by um, the passing of my, my, my mom, friend's mom. And just like really opened up my capacity more to love, um, like you said as well. And um, yeah, now I'm like, now I'm also exploring um, tears with frustration. I'm like, oh, it's cool to like experience tears with frustration, mm-hmm. um, tears of joy. Um, yeah, and just now because because of that work of uh, really activating that, it's allowed me to experience that euphoric experience at the end of the tears and now it's like uh, when the rain hits and then the sunshine boom there's a rainbow mm. i imagine that euphoric feeling is that rainbow at the end of that beautiful metaphor man i really like that and mm-hmm. i think it's also important just to acknowledge the 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 macho archetype uh, that yeah. masculinity has born for so many years that it's mm-hmm. really held on to i think at this point I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm still naive, but I hear, I think that we've really introduced this new possibility for what being a man in the world looks like men who are connected and to, and responsible for their emotions, not Mm. emotionless robots that somehow Mm -hmm. try to contain this irrepressible force within our bodies, but Mm -hmm. men who people, humans who can actually articulate them in constructive and safe ways where Mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt the people around us. I think it's Mm -hmm. important just to acknowledge that piece too, because there's so much more that becomes available. When mm-hmm. we can tap into that. We already talked about that with the anger. We alluded to it with the grief and sadness, but also when men are really able to access their joy, it's like the most beautiful thing in the world. When you, when mm-hmm. you see like a big macho guy who's gone through his stuff and he's just lit up, like letting himself yeah. smile. It's amazing how infectious it it, it is. And mm-hmm. And it's, it's like you said, it's, it's the sun, it's the sunshine that can come through, but we've got to walk through these levels and layers of our humanity mm-hmm. and our emotions. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not an easy journey. It's a simple one. Cause it's like, boom, 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 but it's certainly not easy. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Yeah. That's uh that's what a great image you painted um, in terms of the big macho man. And yeah, how I, how I experienced that, um, that reflection is like just safety like a big macho man that's in his complete joy like he's a big dude you know he could probably do some damage but he's not there to do damage he's there to love provide and be what could be that ideal father figure which Mm. is the one to provide and protect Mm. and um yeah yeah, that's the that's the feeling i got from that yeah yeah i'll bring in one more reference and we could start tying it up here I, I, I i love referencing the animal kingdom and you know especially in like the marketing stuff these days, everyone's like, be a lion, be the beast, you know, like yeah. access the, cause, cause there is that part of ourselves. It's, it's healthy to be able to tune into that too. Mm-hmm. But when you look at lions on the Savannah and you watch national geographic, like most of the time they're just laying around chilling. <laughs> they're not in full, like burying their teeth, like yeah. ready to strike mode unless they absolutely have to be. Yeah, absolutely. Unless it comes to life or death situations. And even mm-hmm. when there's a standoff sometimes between lions and hyenas, sometimes they both agree like, Hey, we're going to go our separate ways. Cause chances are, we're both going to get messed up and then it's game over for both of us. So yeah. 
aggression in that way is really only reserved for like the absolute essential moments of life or death. I got to protect myself or my loved ones from imminent Mm -hmm. danger. Mm -hmm. Everything else is unnecessary. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so just the, just the balance of those things so that we're not, you know, we, yes, we need access to it, but it's also such a small percentage that we actually need. Yeah. So totally. hopefully never, hopefully we live in a system hopefully, where we never yeah. have to do it, but hopefully you know. never. It's uh, it's like that uh, metaphor, um, no metaphor or quote, maybe both. Um, I'd rather be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in the war. There you go. It's yeah. beautifully said, man. I love that one. Someone yeah. just brought that up this weekend when I was in a retreat too. So it's, it's in yeah. the ethers. Yeah. Um, Cyrus, man, time flies and we're just about at our time here, man. So I, I know we, we're going to have to do another one someday. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell that we're going to be, we're very synchronized with our work. So I'm looking forward to possibilities. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you some like lightning round style questions and then Perfect. have you tell everybody where they can go to follow you and find you. Sound good? Beautiful. Yep. Sound good. All right. So what's one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? Oh, landing around uh, um, emotional awareness, emotional intelligence, emotion. What we've been so speaking about: emotional release, emotional IQ. Yeah, let's let's take let's take history out of schools and insert emotional intelligence. Well, I'll be better off for it. Yeah. Um, and what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Uh, integrity, but integrity to word and integrity to feeling. Um, integrity to word is the masculine. Um, keeping the word integrity to feeling is the feminine. Um, mm. Also noticing, oh, I feel this. I should. On- I want to honor this feeling, and then also make it an according adjustment. So integrity. Beautiful man. And last but not least, where can people follow you and go to find you and learn more about the incredible work you're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, my, you can find me at uh, the Panda Shaman on Instagram. Um, most active on Instagram. Um, or you can go to uh, my website, www.tamatane.com, which is spelled T-A-M-A-T-A-A-N-E.com, uh, where you can find uh, my retreat that's coming up uh, at the end of uh, March, 28th of March to the 1st of April, where we dive into man. a lot of what we've been speaking about, especially Haka. <laughs> Amazing, man. So grateful for you being on here today. So excited for the work that you're bringing out into the world, man. We definitely need more men on the front lines leading in that mm-hmm. way, especially exploring the topics we talked about here. Lots of luck to you, man. Wish you the best. And I look forward when we get to connect in person, hopefully in the thank near you. future. Yes. Thank you so much, brother, for having me. I really, really appreciate it. All right, y'all, y'all know what to do if you want to see the links and resources for this episode and every episode of the Rising Man podcast, cruise over to risingman.org, click the podcast link and go to this episode or whichever one you want the show notes and more information for. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to us. Just hit the subscribe button, boom, like that. Get the notifications every time a new one drops. Do the same on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Got a lot of dope content there that you won't hear on the podcast. Go check it out. Please follow us on Instagram as well, at Rising Man Movement. A lot going on over there. A lot of interactions and engagements with the community. So please check us out over there as well. Big ups to the whole Rising Man family, whether you're part of the leadership team or you've been a part of helping spread the word on the podcast or you've attended some of our retreats or you're just out there believing in what Rising Man is all about. Thank you for that. So much love, so much gratitude for each and every one of you out there. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.